Welcome to More, the podcast where Debbie will explore real-life applicable ways to get more out of your life. And here's Debbie. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all doing great. And I'm excited about the podcast today. We're on principle number six, the 22nd rule from Sean Acor's The Happiness Advantage. And we're going to just jump right in. This chapter is called The 22nd Rule, How to Turn Bad Habits into Good Ones by Minimizing Barriers to Change. He starts out the top uh, chapter talking about um, one time when he was giving a training on Wall Street to some a bunch of people and a man at the back of the room said, Sean, I know you're from Harvard and everything, but really everything you're saying, all this positive psychology, isn't it just a bunch of common sense? And it was kind of the beginning of his time speaking, publicly speaking and talking to individuals. And it kind of took him off guard because he wasn't used to this kind of criticism and which when you're in the public view, you do get a lot of criticism and he just wasn't used to it. And um, so then he, you know, thought about it a lot, kind of bothered him. And then another man later on in the day said, hey, do you remember that guy that kind of was so critical of what you were doing? He said, yeah, I totally remember him. And the guy's like, that guy is such an unhappy person here in our company. He's it's like a rain cloud follows him all the time. And we can't put him on any teams because he's toxic. And Sean said that this was a turning point for him because he said that um, here was someone who he was being told all the ways to do things and the changes that he could make in his life and how obvious it was, but it wasn't obvious enough for that guy. And he realized that common sense, things that are common sense, isn't common action. And I think we can all agree with that. So knowing what to do and knowing what we should be doing is only part of the battle. I think many of us, many adults, they we kind of know what to do, but it's the action part that's the hard part. And even kids, as they're growing, they know what they should do. They know between right and wrong. I feel like we've all been given a conscience. We all know what we should do. And really, that's not the battle. The battle is in acting. Um, He says, to be excellent, we cannot simply think or feel excellent. We must act excellently. Yet the action required to follow through on what we know is actually the very hardest part. That's why Um, He says that even though doctors know better than anybody the importance of exercise and good diet, 44% of doctors are overweight. So he says, why is changing our behavior so hard and how can we make it easier? And one thing he says that um, William James, a philosopher from years, in this, I think in the 1600s, said, is that we are mere bundles of habits. Humans are... We are just a bunch of habit. And since our natural tendency to is to act out of habit, that what we need to do to sustain positive change is to turn every desired action that we want into a habit so that it can come automatically and without a lot of effort. 
Um, I know that, I mean, you know, a, a lot of you know that I take piano lessons and I'm trying to learn piano. And one thing that I've been told and one thing that I know is that um, I should play the key, the notes right the first time. And if you play them right every single time, your brain creates a habit so you play the notes correctly. The problem is that I have is I want to play the song faster. I want to be better at it. And so I want to just play and I don't want to put the work in sometimes, right? I just want to play without thinking. And so what happens is I'll play the note wrong and then I have to go back and my brain plays the note right, then it plays it wrong, then it'll go back and play it again a third time in a, with a different um, key configuration and I played it wrong a third time in a different way. And so my brain is so confused. If I would just slow down and play the notes correctly every time and avoid the mistakes, I think that I would learn faster because, you know, I truly believe that we are creatures of habit. And if we can take and make the things that we want in our lives create habits, positive habits, that that will make a difference. And he said that habits form because our brain actually changes in response to frequent practice. It's funny because I wouldn't call myself, you know, a technology technological idiot, but I'm certainly not super advanced. And making this podcast really was a challenge at first because I was like, I had to just learning how to make a podcast was a big step. And now that I know how to make the podcast, I have it all on my laptop. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what to push. And if anything goes out of order, I don't do things exactly like I know I should do, then I get confused and I'm not sure what to do for the next step. So we get good at things with practice. And so the more that we practice, the better that we get. And the more... Um, firm it becomes in our brain to the point that we can do multiple things at the same time um, and be successful at it because we've done it so many times. I know with driving, like sometimes I don't even think about driving because I do it so much. I go to the same spot in the same direction every time that I don't even think about what I'm doing. And um, anything that we want to train ourselves to do, we can do that. Now, one thing that Acor says that William James, you know, said all of this back in the 17th century or 18th century. Um, don't quote me on exactly the century, but he said he had it right so many years ago. But he said we need to forgive him of the one wrong thing that he got. And for me, this is great. He says he believed then, as most scientists did back then, that this ability to create lasting brain change was only available to the young, that you can't, so to speak, teach an old dog new tricks. But thankfully, that's not the case. Science has proven and shown um, from many of the studies that have been shown in this book that it doesn't matter what the age, that um, we can change and form our brains at any age, even into our high senior years, and that we have the power to create new habits and reap the benefits, whether we're 22 or 72. So Sean was like anxious to give um, this a try, feeling like, hey, I can 
do the things I want. I can learn. I can grow. So he said he was going to try out this experiment. So he decided he was going to take up guitar. And um, he, he knew that it takes 21 days to create a habit. So he made this sheet on a piece of paper and he was going to check off every day that he um, practiced guitar and he taped his sheet to the wall and he was going to check off every day. He figured with this chart system, he was going to get all of his marks and he would create a habit of playing the guitar every day. His life would improve and he would be happier because of the experiment. At the end of the 21 days, after three weeks, he pulled the grid down and he was disgusted. He had four check marks of the whole thing. He failed his own experiment and he was no closer to being a musician or a guitarist. And he was depressed at how easily he gave up on the project. Here he's supposed to be a positive psychologist and he should be better at following his own advice. And he failed in his endeavor. The guitar was sitting right there in the closet. He had the time to do it. It was 20 seconds away. Why could he not do it? What had gone wrong, he thought. So Sean says that willpower is just not the way to do it. He talks about Tal, Tal Ben-Shahar, and he tells about this story how Tal, um, his mom was, he grew up in Israel, and his mom was famous for this delicious chocolate cake. And one afternoon, Tal and his friends came home from school and she pulled this yummy chocolate cake out of the oven and everybody was going to have a slice. And Tal refused to have one because he was training for the National Squash Championships and he wanted to be really good. So he was going to resist the temptation to have the chocolate cake and all of his friends had chocolate cake and he, it looked delicious, but he said, no, he's not going to have any. So then an hour went by and the cake was still sitting there and it looked so delicious, but he still said, no, he's not going to have it, even though that's all he could think about. And then during the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping, Tal crept down to the kitchen and he devoured the entire rest of the cake, not just a piece, but the whole cake, the rest of it, every single last bite. So I think all of us have experienced this experience with failure of willpower. We deny ourselves and we deny ourselves what we want. And then suddenly we can't take it anymore and we break and we give in and we have way more than we would have as far as eating or, or anything that we're trying to um, fix of ourselves. We, we lose our willpower and we fail. My daughter's a personal trainer and a dietitian, and she always says, just let yourself have what you want you know, and just control how much you have of it. Because he says that people who crash diet are more likely to regain the weight than people who eat healthy, right? And 20, only 20% 20 of people who diet or try to lose weight or eat healthy or whatever, keep it off for a long period of time. So, and he also talks about how anytime we have New Year's resolutions and stuff, so many of us have trouble sustaining the change because we're completely relying on willpower. So then Aker tells this story about this Roy Baumeister, Baumeister who did um, a study and he put college students in a lab and he told them that they couldn't eat anything for three hours before the experiment. So they were to go in kind of hungry. Then he split them all into three groups. Group one was given a plate of chocolate chip cookies and they were told not to eat them. 
and they were also given a healthy plate of radishes, which they were told that they could eat as many as they wanted. Group two was presented with the same two plates of cookies and radishes, but they were told they could eat off whichever plate they wanted. And then group three was given no food at all, and they all went in hungry. After enduring these situations for a significant length of time, the three groups were given a set of simple geometric puzzles. Now, note, these puzzles were not simple. They were very hard to solve, and they were basically unsolvable. Unsolvable. So as they went through these um, puzzles and trying to solve, what they discovered, what this Baumeister discovered in this thing was that the groups two and three who group two was allowed to eat anything they wanted and group three was had no choices, but group one was told that they had to have the willpower not to eat those chocolate chip cookies because they couldn't have them. Though that group did not have the willpower or mental energy to struggle through the puzzles and they gave up much sooner than the other two groups did. So Akers kind of discovered and learned through different studies that um, when we try to have willpower, the more that we continue to try to have willpower, the more weak we become and we cave into the pressure. So Aker says that it's no wonder that we give into our old habits and the easiest and most comfortable path we just fall back on is what we're comfortable with as we progress through our days. And this invisible pull toward the path of least resistance, what we're used to all the time, can dictate more of our lives than we realize, creating an impassable barrier to change and positive growth. So he says, you know, exercising willpower is not the best way to do things. Then he tells a story about a girl named Kathy. And Kathy has plans for her free Saturday She's going to go biking on a trail by her house, or she might join in a pickup soccer game, or she might go to a museum. And she has all these plans, or maybe even dive into some books that she has. And she's excited about her free Saturday, and what does she end up doing? She doesn't do any of those things, and none of them are that hard for her to do. Um, but her remote control is sitting right within her reach, and what does she do? But she watches a Top Chef marathon show, four hours of, um, you know, watching TV. And she ends up doing that, you know, the most of her day. And it seems like we do that all the time in our world. Like, it's so easy. Like, I'm going to do this and I get, I get looking on social media. I'm on Facebook or Instagram or I'm on Pinterest or, or all the other, you know, Marco Polo or all the different you know, Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, or looking on the internet, Googling so-and-so when they were born or whatever. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in inactivity and just get swooped in to the things that are so available to us. So he says that Americans actually find free time more difficult to enjoy than work. And honestly, I think that is so true for me. Um, he says, if it sounds ridiculous, consider this. For the most part, our jobs, and if we're a student, student is your job, right? 
Um, but they require us to use our skills, to engage our minds, pursue our goals, and all things that have been shown to contribute to happiness. But just sitting there being leisure, sitting around, doing nothing, playing games on our phone or looking at pictures or whatever, um, does nothing to boost our happiness. But it's so easy and so readily available to us that we just sit and we'd whittle away the hours of doing the path of least resistance. And he says, because we're mere bundles of habit, the more often we succumb to this path, the more difficult it becomes to change direction. And then he says that um, studies have found that American teenagers are two and a half times more likely to experience elevated enjoyment when engaged in a hobby than when watching TV and three times more likely when playing a sport. I know the students that I work with, all they talk about are sports and I love it because it's their life and it's so much better than some of the other things that they could get involved in. But then he says these same teenagers spend four times. So even though they're two and a half times more likely to be happy when doing something, they are more likely, four times more likely to spend just as many hours watching TV as they do engaging in sports or hobbies. So um, why do we spend four times more doing something that has less than half the chance of making us feel good? And wouldn't it be interesting if we say, oh, we don't. But if we wrote down the amount of time that we spend doing some of these extra things, just whittling away our time doing nothing, I, I believe that the majority of us would find that we use our time, we don't use our time as well as we could. Um, he says that we are drawn powerfully and magnetically to those things that are easy convenient and habitual, and it's incredibly difficult to overcome this inertia or this pull on our time. Active leisure is more enjoyable, but it also requires more initial effort. He talks about advertisements and marketers and people that do commercials and, and billboards and all the different things that are trying to get our attention and our money, and he says that they, lead, they make their living on the path of least resistance. Think of this. If you walk into a grocery store, the doors open for you. You don't even have to almost pull on the handle. It just You just walk right in. Everything is so easy. He said, I thought this was interesting. He said, have you ever bought something with a mail-in rebate? Do you actually really mail it in? They say, hey, look, you can get all this money off if you just mail this back. And do people really mail it back? No, they don't. That's why companies offer them. That's why magazines, they'll send us a free five-week subscription. And then automatically, our account starts deducting money from our account on the sixth week. Sixth week. Why do they do that? Because they know that we're not going to go to the effort to cancel the offer, right? Um, so... We we buy into, oh, I can get it for five weeks free. And then we say in our mind, oh, I'm just going to cancel on the sixth week. And we never do. And that's how they make money. They know that we're, we don't put in the effort to do some of these things. 
And so these gimmicks that the companies do pay off. He said that there's a lot of phone companies that there's way better monthly plans available than the ones that we usually are using that we come that they come out with from the beginning. But we just stick with the default because it's too big of a pain to do all the effort um, to switch the plans and change all the information. Everybody just sticks with what they're paying for, you know, and I think this is so true. I mean, I know it's true with me on some of these things. It's just like, oh, I don't want to go to the effort. I have an app right now that I'm using that I don't even use anymore and I'm paying for it and I don't even want to go to the effort to cancel it. You know, it's crazy. And I just barely canceled one that I was paying for literally for a year. I mean, they're small ones, but because I didn't want to go to the effort to cancel them. Isn't it crazy? And honestly, I feel like this is probably more of a strength of mine than it is a weakness. I'm not a big procrastinator. Um, I think I get this from my mom. She does not put anything off. And I just, you know, like doing the podcast, it's just like takes a lot of self-determination. There's nobody out there pushing me to do it, but I keep doing it. And um, so, you know, the hard part that I have to develop is training my mindset to think more positively and but, but, you know, we all, but even though this is one of my bit better strengths, I still fall prey to some of these things. He says at the grocery store, we buy more food off the shelves that directly meet our eye and less off that requires to look up or kneel down. And so all the stores know this and they put the most expensive things right at eye level. So, I mean, our, we are just naturally, we have the tendency to go to the easy. We don't want to go to the heart. It's just, it's just our human nature. So then he tells this story about this guy named Ted and Ted is just exhausted and he's working, um, 12 and 14 hour days at work. And he just, he, and he just keeps working longer and longer hours and he keeps getting less and less done. And so he comes to um, Sean and he says, hey, help me, help me figure out what I'm doing wrong. And they walk through Ted's day. And even though some of my listeners don't necessarily have a job, possibly, but we can all relate to this is when whatever we need to do something, we get so easily distracted. So Ted gets to work. And the first thing he does is he clicks on his email and he checks his email and he sees how many, you know, emails and cleans it up and spends, you know, an hour doing his email. And then he's like, oh, I got to take a break. So then he does a coffee break and then CNN pops up on his, um, on his computer and something drags his attention and he starts reading up on the breaking news that comes up and then something else clicks and he's going to check his stock. And then some websites come up that alert him or his ESPN that tells him what's the latest thing happening uh, in the sports world or the entertainment world. And all these things fire at us. I mean, literally, while I have been on the computer doing this podcast, I bet I've had 10 notifications pop up at my computer telling me something that's happening. It's like they want to grab your attention wherever you can. And now we have watches that alert us every second of the next thing that happened. And we get drawn in by looking at this. 
So literally, he goes about his day doing all these things, and he gets to work for a little bit, and then something else drags his attention away. So he really is spending hours upon hours at work, but he's not really working the whole time, you know? And so he's not getting things accomplished that he needs to do because he's so distracted. And it doesn't matter who we are, whether we have a job or for a student or whatever, anybody in this world that has any technology at their fingertips, it's just like bombarding us with all the distractions that come to keep us from accomplishing the things that we need to accomplish. And so, you know, it's something that we need to think about. Is this happening to us? And he says that the distraction is not even the worst of it. He says the actual time we give to these distractions is only part of the problem. But the bigger issue is that every time we get distracted, our attention hits a wall and we stray. He says that research shows that the every the average employee, and we can probably say student, we can probably include that in it, gets interrupted from their work every 11 minutes. I mean, think about kids doing homework at home that, you know, the distractions that we have at home too. And on every occasion, we experience a loss of concentration and flow. So we lose our focus and it takes almost that many minutes, another 11 minutes to recover from that distraction. And what makes those distractions so difficult also is not that how many they are, but how easily it is to get to them and see them and how tempting they are, right? Um, and so distraction is always just one click away. I mean, it's on our watch. We carry it with us everywhere we go. All we got to do is push a little button with our finger and we can see the world at our fingertips, right? So what does Sean say the uh, trick is? How do we overcome this? He says he's, he tried another experiment. So same thing as with his guitar, you know, and he decided he was going to do the guitar thing. But this time, instead of having the guitar put away in the closet, he put, he got a guitar stand and he put it right in the middle of the living room, right where it was right in the middle of everything that he did. So um, the guitar was right there within reach. And he said that because he put the guitar right where it could be, he was able to um, make the same grid and he got 21 check marks with the guitar right there at his fingertips, just like our phones and our technology are right there in front of us. That's what he did. So we might have to get creative a little bit in the things that tempt us and the things that cause us to get distracted and see what we can do to fix those things. He says in Confessions of a Shopaholic, the woman had to freeze her credit card in blocks of ice to physically stop herself from going and buying things that she didn't really need. It kind of sounds silly, but um, making the effort to get out a blow dryer and or hot water or whatever and get that credit card out of the ice was enough to keep her from going into the store and she just didn't want to put the effort into into that. So she, she was able to fix her habit of spending too much on her credit card. So Sean said, you know, he's not a big shopper. Um, but what he has a problem with is watching too much TV. And so what he did is when he had to, 
what he did was he took the batteries out of the remote control and he put them away in a drawer or, you know, I don't know. He just, he put them away so that he had to like go get the batteries, take them out, refill the thing, go find them or whatever. And he said it was enough to cure him of his TV habit. Instead of watching TV, he started playing the guitar because the guitar was just right there and the remote control was out of reach. And he calls this the 22nd rule. Um, he talks about how nutritionists recommend that we prepare healthy snacks in advance. I know my daughter is a dietitian, and I was at her house this last week and you know she had all these bins of cucumbers already cut up in the fridge green peppers and red peppers and yellow peppers already cut up and, you know, all these vegetables ready and prepared and cut up pineapple and different things so that it was easy to get and eat so that, you know, you didn't have to put a lot of work into getting them so that you would just eat them readily. So the 22nd rule is basically putting the things that are tempting uh, um, to distract you and keep you from accomplishing your goals, put them 20 seconds away, put them away far enough so that you have to go searching for them. And then that will help you stop doing some of these distractions. So he talks again about Ted and what they did is he gave Ted some suggestions of one thing is to, when he got to work, close his email program. So it wouldn't send up alerts whenever he got a new email so he wouldn't get distracted by the different emails that came. They also disabled the automatic login and password for that account so that it to get into the email it took a lot longer to get in and then they hid they hid that email in an empty folder so that he had to go into an empty folder to get to the email and then they put that in another empty folder and another empty folder and they basically created like this Russian stacking dolls thing so that um, he wasn't so tempted to keep going there. They disabled his stock um, widget, the thing that got him to his stock account really easily. They changed his homepage from CNN, which was so interesting to him, all the news, to a blank search page. And um, they disabled the cookies so it wouldn't remember the, the websites that he usually checks so that everything that he would have to go to, it took a lot longer and was more difficult to get to. At first, Ted was kind of frustrated with everything that happened, but after a bit, he realized what a difference it made in his life. And you look at this technology that we have in our life, I mean, it's just so readily available that we really have to have a lot of self-control to withstand all of it. Um, some things that I have done that help me, um, I have learned to make commitments with others. So I just went to dinner and movie with some friends and, you know, it would have been easy for me to just while away my day and my husband's gone. So I could have just done my own thing and had my own time. But Earlier in the week when I was thinking about it, I just called and said, hey, to a friend, do you want to go to a movie? And, you know, I made the time. I made a commitment with a friend. Um, I texted and when something came through to do a pickleball tournament, I texted and said yes at that moment. When you're feeling 
the need to do something to be productive, make a commitment with somebody else. That's one way to do it. Make an appointment. Um, we have, you know, I, we have temples that we go to in our religion and you can quickly, when you're feeling like, okay, I need to do this, make an appointment, set the time, go and do it. Um, create opportunities to get ourselves out of these modes where we would just want to sit and do nothing. One thing that Sean talked about is sleeping in your gym clothes. He said that, you know, in, he wanted to create a habit of getting up in the morning and exercising. And so in order to make it easier for him, he would just sleep in his gym clothes. So all he had to do was put on his shoes and go and, he, you know, he'd sleep in clean gym clothes and then he'd go. And he said it helped to help him motivate him and pretty soon it became a habit and then he didn't have to sleep in his gym clothes clothes any longer um, one thing that i'm doing is i'm taking piano lessons i set it up i mean i know how to read music i know how to teach myself piano but it's so much better when i have somebody that i have to be accountable to and so we just we just need to find ways in our life that we can help ourselves to be more productive. Another thing is when you have a habit, link one thing to another. So I've been doing better at morning prayer because I've linked it to, I get up and I exercise first because then I, I'm more awake. And then once I've done the exercise, I link that to morning prayer. And then once I've done morning prayer, I link that to scripture study. And so I'm able to get more of those things done. Something that I feel like I need to do better with is my gratitude journal. Now I have linked gratitude journal to my job at school. So when my students are doing a gratitude journal, I'm doing a gratitude journal. But so often my students are interrupting me in getting the gratitude journal and me helping them to accomplish something they need to do at school that I'm not getting it done. So I think I'm gonna try to do something new by putting my gratitude journal under right on under my covers in bed so that right when I get in bed there's my gratitude journal and it's something that I can link that to getting into bed instead of wasting time playing games on my phone when I go to bed I can work on my gratitude journal and look review the day and say okay what are some great things that happened to me today so to kind of sum it up he says the key to creating these habits is ritual repeated practice until the actions become ingrained in your brain's neurochemistry and they become habits. And the key to daily practice is to put your desired actions as close to the path of least resistance as humanly possible. Um, so, you know, it takes some thought and some effort in finding ways to make this happen for you. But I know that we can do these things and I know this is a great chapter and a great, great ideas and how to overcome the path of least resistance and move our lives forward and create our life by design. I hope this chapter has given you some food for thought and next podcast, we are going to go into the last principle, not the last chapter of the book, but his final principle. So I'm excited. This book has been so powerful. I hope you've all loved it. And we've got two more chapters in this book and we're moving on. So I hope you'll share the podcast. I hope you're learning something. I hope it helps you as much as it helps me. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you on the next podcast.